Welcome to SKUcast, the podcast for entrepreneurs in the promotional products industry. SKUcast shines a light on our industry's best work, features maverick personalities, and discusses what's really involved in running a modern promotional products business. SKUcast is the official podcast of Common SKU. Being 100% sustainable means buying nothing, yeah. <laughs> you know, so <laughs> right. we, we, we kind of, uh, on the website, we say it out loud. We say we are not perfect, but we are doing our best. And by the way, check this, check where it's made, I check the that. factory. You can, yeah. if you, if you ask us, I can give you the name of the factory. Yeah. I can give you the name of the manufacturer. I can give you the name of the brand. Everything is transparent. It's not perfect, but it will get better and it's the best option we have today. That's to me what transparency means. Brussels-based Mercury launched their new business in the middle of a pandemic. Simon and his business partner, Ben, are only five months into their journey, but they're getting press and attention most of us would envy, including a mention by Courier Magazine, the defining media brand for a new generation. We wanted to find out who are these Belgians making waves gaining the attention of design leaders, entrepreneurial leaders, and finding an eager, loyal customer base cheering them on. I visit with one half of the duo, Simon Paulette, and we talk about their passion for beautiful products that endure, how sustainability takes on a richer meaning for their mission, the distinction between U.S. and European attitudes regarding sustainable lifestyles, and taking the word transparency from a pious platitude to something practical that customers can grasp. You'll love their perspective, a refreshingly honest expression of a couple of passionate entrepreneurs in love with elegant design and relentless transparency, fueled by purpose and meaning. Hi friends, I'm Bobby Leehue, the Chief Content Officer at CommonSkew. Today's episode is brought to you by CommonSkew, the work-from-anywhere platform that powers your connected workflow, enabling you to process more orders and dramatically grow your sales. To learn more or to begin your free trial now, visit commonskew.com. I thoroughly enjoyed this conversation with Simon and meeting his business partner, Ben. Here's their story. So Simon, before we get into your story, can you provide us a snapshot of, of Belgium and specifically what it's like to launch a business there? Yeah. Um, well, first of all, Belgium is a really small country. I think we are 11 million people or something. So it's really small and it has three official languages, which it, which makes it even more difficult to actually start a business. So as soon as you start a business, as you launch your business, you're kind of forced to export uh, from day one. Um, mm-hmm. And even if you export, uh, Europe has many different cultures, many different languages. So it's not an easy country to, to be an entrepreneur in. And sometimes I'm kind of, I wish I'd be an entrepreneur in the U.S. because the U.S. is such a big, huge, integrated market. It's not the case in the U.S., I feel, in, the, in Belgium, I feel. Right. Tell us how, you're now, what, three or four months into the industry, literally? We started in April 2020, so of this year. So it's okay. pretty wow. early stage. And uh, you have a product that you started with that was sort of your entryway into the business called uh, Drink Big? Exactly. So 
Ben and I, Ben is my co-founder. We, we met in high school and we, we always wanted to be entrepreneurs together. And we, we had a job and we wanted to start a little project, um, which is called Drink Big. And Drink Big is actually a brand of reusable bottles that we started without a lot of ambition, to be honest. It was something to play with. We wanted to create a brand, something tangible. And we created the brand and uh, we ordered, I think, 1,500 bottles and, and, and told ourselves, okay, if we sell this in a year, it's great. And in a year, we sold 10,000 bottles, which was a success for us. And something yeah. that happened was that um, companies came to us, which was totally unexpected at first. Um, and that's when we actually realized, God, companies love beautiful and sustainable products. And that's when we actually decided to split the two projects and go beyond the bottle and offer, you know, a whole range of products, um, beside the bottle. It's a gorgeous design. You're getting a lot of attention from high-end retailers because of the design, because of the functionality and because of the story behind it. Um, so congratulations on a cool launch. Uh, tell us the Instagram, uh, for drink big. Yeah. I mean, we, everything happened on Instagram for drink big. What do you mean by that? We did everything ourselves and we knew that the focus would be Instagram and the content that we would create. And by the way, we still had a job. So it was really a sad project. We had a few hours to give it a day. Um, But it was everything on Instagram. We knew that, you know, there was a clear acquisition channel on Instagram. Our product was easily marketable. We could take pictures ourselves. Um, We could sell it online very easily. It's not an expensive product. You you don't need to try it. So it's, it's an amazing product to sell actually. So, um, that's why we focused on Instagram. We did everything through influencers and paid advertising. Uh, that's how we, how the brand actually took off. How did drink big become your doorway into the promotional products business? Well, so I remember one day we had a company coming to us. I think it was a museum actually came to us and they say, can we have a hundred of those of your bottles branded with our logo on it? And we were like totally surprised. And we said, yeah, why not? Uh, and then another one came in and said the same thing. And then at first it was a few hundred bottles. And then, uh, we got to 55,000 bottles. Um, and at one point we just realized, okay, this is kind of our, you know, cash costs. This is where there is volume. And that's where I think there is a market opportunity. Even if we never thought about a market opportunity per se, we just said, that's so fun. We really answer a demand here. And that's why we pursued it. We decided to rebrand Drink Big, start the project from scratch, do a new bottle, a new website, new brands, new positioning. And we thought, okay, Maybe it would be smarter if we if we split the two the two projects, and also we had this desire to actually start Mercury. But to be honest, while working on the rebranding of Drink Big, the crisis hit, and the production of our new bottle and new brand actually stopped for a few months, and it gave us more time to actually work on Mercury. Uh, and what started as a small ID, we just wanted to split the two projects basically ended up being us working a lot of hours on Mercury and, you know, developing a serious product with a serious, you know, brands. And that's how Mercury is today. You know, many entrepreneurs might have 
put their plans on pause with something like COVID coming up? Why didn't you guys put Mercury on pause? Yeah. Well, actually, we had no choice. We quit. I quit my job just before the crisis, <laughs> right. so I had no choice. And I was yeah, actually expecting. Right. I was expecting. I remember to receive the bottles in January uh, twenty twenty, and we received yeah. them in May of the, of this year. So you know, I had no choice than to spend time on on the op- the opportunity we had, which was mercury. Um, yeah. So we had no choice. And then Ben joined a little bit later, but basically we were all in to this project. So we had no choice. Love that. So you looked at the market, you looked at the industry and tell me what you saw. What were your first impressions? Good, bad, ugly. To be honest, we didn't really look at the markets. And, and I know <laughs> I we, we bad students in that, in that regard. I remember the way we built the business was just asking ourselves, which products do we want to see in, in this in this industry, yeah. and which products yeah. would we be happy to re- actually receive? It's true that yeah. we had a look around a bit, um, and we saw you know this whole offer of you know Chinese made products, low quality and kind of ugly items, and that's what we wanted to fight against. But we didn't really yeah. thought about the, the market itself. And actually, we discovered a lot later. But yeah, we didn't make any market research or whatsoever. We, I didn't even know the size of the market, to be honest. And it's when I read an article later on saying that it's a $100 billion market worldwide. And I was like, shit, this is really big. Uh, <laughs> Man, I love that. And the other reason I love that is this intersection of art and commerce is something we've always been fascinated by, mm-hmm. um, by entrepreneurs who see a vision of something they want in the marketplace, which is what a, most of entrepreneurship starts out. And it's also how most artists bring forth their vision, painters, writers. There's a vision exactly, of something yeah. they want to create. So they're not driven necessarily by market wins as much as they are internal passion. So what makes Mercury distinct yeah. from the traditional startup? Well, I mean, as you describe, you know, modern entrepreneurship is pretty much about being fan of the idea of becoming an entrepreneur yeah. and then find the idea itself, brainstorm about it. Yeah. Of course, we wanted to be entrepreneurs, but the difference with us is that the idea came to us. Uh, we didn't really look for a market opportunity, to be honest. Of course, it you know, it took form later on, but it was not the same classic path that we followed. Yeah. Another point, which is, I think, related is that we fully financed the project. So we, we, we have no external equity or external investors uh, in, in the company, which makes, us, which, which makes it um, a kind of um, small and different business compared to the classic startup going to angel investors and so on. Mm-hmm. So that's the point. And, you know, as a consequence of that, you know, growth is not the number one success factor in this adventure. Uh, We're really looking to make something beautiful. You know, I remember with Ben, we just sat down and we told each other what's, what's, what's success for us. And I remember we both say that, you know, creating, creating a beautiful thing is more important than just making a lot of money, for example. Yeah. That is such a, brilliant philosophy to, to drive your business. You decided to make Mercury distinct also um, 
with your sustainable focus, but not just sustainability. Can you tell us more about that internal passion? Yeah, I mean, sustainability is is, is a really wide term, right? What right. does it mean? It's 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 so wide and doesn't mean anything to me. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think the core thing that we believed and that we still believe today is that if you make beautiful stuff that people want, they will keep the stuff. Yeah. <laughs> and if they keep the stuff, the brand will will still exist. Yes. Um, yes. So if we make high quality products, it's very likely that your brand will shine through this product. Yeah. That's what we wanted to create besides you know, creating a, a conscious sourcing, for example. Yeah. We just wanted to make high quality products so that people simply don't throw them away after two weeks, for example. I love that. So that, that's, that was and still is the vision and it's, it's really simple. It's simple, it's beautiful products, high quality pro- products that we, we want for ourselves um, yeah. and that we source on a sustainable manner. You just launched Mercury in April and we talked about how you didn't know much about the market, in fact, anything, and then you quickly found out this huge market exists. How does coming from outside the industry give you a fresh perspective and a different way of seeing things? I think what we realized is that the market is pretty slow. I mean, there's not much innovation in this market, I believe. And something that we realized is that the buyer is not the end user. <laughs> Which means that, for example, when you're selling stuff to, to real people, if your, your product is shit, um, it will get, has been, you know, consumers will judge it very quickly and it will change. There are more trends, I think, in the consumer products than in this industry. That's, I think, the problem. People don't think about the products themselves. They think about what their clients want. And there's, it's kind of the chicken and the egg. Yeah. Uh, we thought differently, I think, which is started by asking ourselves, which products do we simply want? Yeah. That's how I think we changed and we, we, we thought we, t- we took the problem upside down, just said, okay, which products are the ones we, we would like for ourselves instead of, because if we started, if we had started this business looking at, you know, products that people want, we would, we would have sold, you know, plastic USB keys and ugly umbrellas. <laughs> right. um, that, that, that's not the case. Right. Uh, and to be honest, it's a risk because sometimes we, we put products on the platform and we're convinced that it will work. That's not the case. But I mean, it's another way of thinking. Uh, I think in this yeah. industry, uh, which, which made us, um, uh, a bit different. Yeah. People, people are picking up on this passion because you launched a brand new business and you've already received high praise from folks like Tina Roth Eisenberg, whom we both love and respect, creative entrepreneur and founder mm-hmm. of creative mornings and, and, and many other things. You're brand new to this space and yet you managed to organically grab the attention of the press and some notable people and brands. So why do you think there is such a big interest or at least curiosity in Mercury? Well, it's a good question. And I first, I wondered why people were so interested. Um, but then I realized why. I think any organization on earth brands stuff. So, you know, even my high school, when I was a little kid, we had those, you know, branded note, notebooks. We had yeah. the, those branded pens. It's universal. We've 
we've all been in contact with a branded item, a promotional product. So even though it's a B2B business, everyone can relate to this, to this topic. Right. And then another thing is that I think our vision was simply refreshing. And um, in these times of, of crisis, I think everyone has time and the will to question everything. And they, they're looking at this massive market and we bringing another message and they're like, yeah, this makes sense. So I think that that's why we, we, had, we had a lot of press and also amazing people like Tina that just reacted very pos- positively, um, I think. And when you launched, what's fascinating to me from a, from a marketing professional's standpoint is you basically just sent out emails. Yeah. So we, up until now, we never invested in, in, in ads, um, maybe a few hundred euros here and there just to test and see what it, what it means. Um, but we never really invested money in the, the acquisition of clients. And what I just did was, you know, choose influential people like Tina or just send yeah. emails to journalists and saying, simply our story, you know, saying the truth and saying, you know, what, what is, what is it that we do and why we do it? And I think that, um, it makes sense. And so people just respond positively. There's an elegant tie in here from the timing of your launch and an episode we just recorded with Vicky Ostrom, futurist episode 152 Mm -hmm. for folks that are listening that want to tie this together. But the title was less is the new Lux. And I think you, I think you captured the essence of a feeling going on in the marketplace where everyone was questioning many of the things we had previously held frivolously that now we hold very, I think, Mm -hmm. very sacred, even as simple as the, the items that we choose to invite in our home. So you, I think you hit a nerve, but also it was just very authentic. I believe people picked up on that authenticity of your vision, which is why in a sea of marketing that sounds like people selling each other, it was refreshing. Yeah. I mean, the, the quotes, quality over quantity is, yeah. is a strike when you say that to anyone, right. you know, they understand that right. we all have 15 pens in our, in our home with, you know, brands on it. Yeah. Uh, what if you replace those 15 pens with a high quality one? Yeah. I think it makes more sense for anyone uh, to invest in quality instead of quantity. Yeah. What has been the biggest lesson since you launched that, that we can learn from? Another way of asking that might be, what did you think the business would be like and now what's the reality? Well, the, the first lesson we had for ourselves is that it's a huge market. Yeah, right. <laughs> it's a huge market. Really, we didn't realize that. So first personal lesson. But we also had other lessons. For example, it's, it's not so easy, for example, on the operation side. Um, we do have, for example, 50 different products today. We hope to bring in much more products by the end of the year. But one product is a different manufacturer or a different brand. And it means a lot of different operational aspects to it. Mm. So that's the lesson. And that's, I think, the key challenge in our business. We, we really early stage. So every day I'm learning new stuff. Like, and... Yeah, <laughs> right, right. Regarding sustainability. 
and I agree with you, the term has lost its meaning. It has become, or it has become a term that has come to mean everything and nothing at the same time. What are the biggest differences between how North America views sustainability versus Europe? Now, I, I do know much of this is changing. There are fundamental differences in terms of progress and mainly lifestyle adoption. But what do you see as yeah. the biggest differences? Well, I mean, the U.S. is the land of consumption, right? Right. And, you know, I don't want to categorize, of course, and I know things are going very quickly uh, in the U.S., but I think that globally, we can say that in terms of sustainability and education in that regard, consciousness, we are more advanced in, in, in Europe. And you can see that if you check, for example, the size of the markets, uh, people spend less in promotional products, for example, in Europe. Yeah. Um, it's a different mentality. I mean, in Belgium, we sort waste. We have uh, small cars. Uh, the lifestyle is different. So, of course, I think that the industry is affected by this vision of life and of, of sustainability. Yeah. Uh, it, may, it makes less sense here to spend money on, on, on disposable stuff. You know, I, if, I, if I see someone with a, with a plastic bag um, in the streets, you know, with the groceries is very rare. Yeah. It's, it's, it's not, it's not common. So I think that we are a bit different in the way, maybe slower in the way we consume, but yeah. definitely there's a, a, a lot of attention around sustainability here in Europe and especially in Northern Europe, uh, for sure. Yeah. The, the plethora of options here makes us cavalier about a lot of what we do. And you're speaking to an audience who is also um, struggling and exhausted with contributing to this and making sure that they do what you do, mm -hmm. you know, is, is provide products that, that last. And now that we're all forced to market into the home, which is a sacred space, we're, I think that we're all mm -hmm. aligning toward, uh, toward this vision, but you've adopted it at the get-go. You mentioned that you have a passion for transparency. What does that mean to you? And can, or can you give us an example of how you are transparent with your product and your customer? Yeah, I mean, it simply starts by saying where the product is made. I mean, it seems very simple, but in this industry, that's even an innovation. Yeah. If you check the website of, you know, the big folks out there, um, at least here in Europe, I, I didn't really check in the US, but you can forget, forget about having the, the country of origin which is, I think, the, the basis of any transparency, right? You want to know where it's made and you want to know what's the raw material used. That's, to me, what's, what transparency is about. And don't get me wrong, transparency and sustainability are two different concepts. If you, you can be totally transparent without being 100% sustainable. But to me, when I say transparency, I say first, you know, just say the truth, the truth, and then, <laughs> and then do my best to get better. That's what, you know, transparency means to me. So it means, for example, if we have a category of products, we are committed to find the best solution, you know, the most sustainable solution. Yeah. Maybe it's not perfect, but we will always try to upgrade that product, you know, innovate in, in that category to find products that make more sense for the planet. Yeah. But it doesn't mean that it's zero carbon emission. Um, being 100% sustainable means 
buying nothing, <laughs> you know, so <laughs> right. we, we, we kind of, uh, on the website, we say it out loud. We say we are not perfect, but we are doing our best. And by the way, check this, check where it's made, I check the that. factory. You can, yeah. if you, if you ask us, I can give you the name of the factory. Yeah. I can give you the name of the manufacturer. I can give you the name of the brands. Everything is transparent. It's not perfect, but it will get better. And it's the best option we have today. That's to me what transparency means. That's such a refreshing vision. I also noticed while in North America, we're hiding the fact that goods are made in China. It's right there on your website. Yeah, it's, it's, it's everywhere. And, you know, made in China doesn't mean that it's, it's, it's made in poor conditions with um, bad raw materials. For example, if you think about bottles made from stainless steel, you could think of, you can say, oh, this is made in China. This is really bad. Um, actually, we worked with a consultant uh, who made a carbon emission analysis. And you can quickly realize that actually the raw material is extracted in China. So it makes sense to actually produce the, the, the product in the same country. Yeah. Um, plus they acquired some you know, experience in that domain and using a reusable bottle actually is um, a way for you to use less single-use plastic. Uh, so very quickly, actually, your bottle will be offset. Yeah. So it doesn't mean, made, made in China doesn't mean um, made in bad conditions and bad for the environment. Right. But what matters is to say it, basically. Yeah. We, we, that is such a great lesson for all of us. We all need to get better at communicating that to our customers. Because I think if, if yeah. they have, and it's a very important lesson for us right now, especially in the U.S. where there are very tense perceptions around the relationship between China and the U.S. Yeah. and buyers' differences of opinion, um, I think we have to be very careful about that. And the fact that you say, yes, let's just be transparent all the way through to where these are made automatically mm-hmm. gives the customer some conviction that you are aware of where these things are coming yeah. from and exactly. intensely yeah. aware. That is, that is such a refreshing vision. You know, speaking of vision, what is your vision for Mercury? What are you seeing down the road? How would you describe your mission as you move forward? The mission is, is clear. We want to help brands to shine in real life. You know, mm-hmm. we have those amazing brands online and, you know, on Instagram, social media, whatever. We want to help them exist in real life and be beautiful in real life. Yeah. So that means creating beautiful project uh, objects. Um, that people will keep. And if those items last, so will your brands. That's the vision. Yeah. But business-wise, to be very honest, it's kind of blurry at the moment. We don't really know where we want to go. Um, of course, we want to create kind of a global movement. I think we, we are onto something. Um, but we don't, you know, I couldn't say I want to be a hundred million business. That's not, that just doesn't make sense. Yeah. But yeah, I want to just talk more about, you know, what we're doing, have more beautiful and, and durable products, work with yeah. cool brands. That's the vision at the moment. It's pretty short term, but it's, it's, it's what we have in the moment. So yeah. And as I said in the beginning of the podcast, 
growth is not the priority here. You know, we are not on a, we are on a fragmented market, I think, and it's not winner takes all. So we, 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 sh- not obliged to actually hurry up yeah. um, because I know that if someone starts the same thing on the other side of the planet, it's great. The market is huge. So yeah. we're not in a hurry yeah. and we just want to do good, um, do good in style. Love it. There's a deeply respected heritage of, of fashion and industrial designers, artists, thinkers from Belgium. Who influences your philosophy and work the most personally or just well, professionally yeah we yeah we we we're kids from the internet you know so even yeah. though i have a lot of inspirations uh from my own country and you know i love my country and i, I think i'm my business reflects who i am and together with ben what we where we come from right um but you know my inspirations come from all over the world yeah. for sure yeah. and it might seem a bit cliche, but since, since I'm a little kid, I've always wanted to be an entrepreneur, but not, you know, the classic entrepreneur with, you know, a big business, big money whatsoever. I've always been interested in creative entrepreneurs, you know, those entrepreneurs that had a little bit of creativity in their, in their business. Mm-hmm. And so, for example, I'm a, I'm a huge fan of Yvon Chouinard, the founder of Patagonia. I don't know if you know him. Yeah. Um, an American, I'm a big fan of Doc Tompkins, who's the founder of the North Face, and, and he protected areas in South America. I'm also the, a big fan of Hamdi Ulukaya. I don't know if you know him. He's the founder of Chobani. Oh, yeah. And by the way, any, yeah. if you have the chance, have a look at, at, at his TED Talk called The New CEO Playbook. It's an amazing TED Talk, and he's amazing, and he puts people first. That's what That's I love. Amazing. Yeah. Um, and I, I'm, I love Swiss Miss, for example. Yeah. Um, you know, all those people are pretty modern influences, but they are entrepreneurs and they do things with, you know, a creative uh, angle, I would say. And that's what inspires me. So those are people that influence your work. What brands do you follow and love? Like, who do you turn to for inspiration? It's a good question. It, I'm, I'm, it's difficult for me. I mean, I'm a... I'm a difficult client. <laughs> I think the best brands I know are the ones that focus on the products yeah. and the story. Yeah. Uh, and when the story is genuine, you know, it's true. So there's this French brand called Veja. I don't know if you know them. It's a shoe brand. It's like Tom's, but the, the, the European version. They never invested in marketing, never, ever. Um, and they created probably the most sustainable shoes out there. Um, and they are, I respected them so much. I think, yeah, a product like Remova, I don't know if you know them, like the, the suitcases, it's a German made, you can, you can buy one and keep it for like 40 years. I think it never breaks and it's super high quality and they, they manage to be modern at the same time. And they have this amazing story or even, you know, really recent startups, um, in the U.S., there is this brand I love, which is it's called Four Days, um, and it's uh, the concept is that it's a it's a, um, a brand of T-shirts that you you buy as a subscription. So they realize that uh, a man like you and I buy on average ten T-shirts a year, 
And instead of you know buying the t-shirts and throwing throwing them away, you buy the t-shirts and it gives you access to a subscription. And then you you can send back your t-shirt, they recycle it, and they send you another one. That's a fascinating trend. It's really about the, those beautiful products and the the true stories that they are building. It's what really interests me in the end. Yeah. What lessons can you share? with us that you've learned about positioning and launching a business within this huge commoditized space. I think you've already shared that with us, but if you had to distill it down to one or two lessons, what would those be? Yeah, I would say one thing. Yeah, I would say one thing. Um, Products, you know, whatever the brand you're building, whatever, you know, the project, what matters is the products. You know, and that's also what makes us different today. That's what will make us different in the future. What is the selection of products we have on the platform? And if it's not good, if it's not, you know, sustainable, it's going to be more difficult for you, I think, to, to, um, differentiate. And today we see so little innovation in the construction of those catalog that I think it's, it's the priority for, for any business starting. Yeah. Well, Simon, this has been fun. You mentioned first podcast and and, uh, and I can't tell you how um, thrilled we are that you joined us. You are speaking to an audience who wants to hear this message and many of them are practicing um, a lot of the principles. And many of us really yearn to adopt these principles in our businesses moving mm-hmm. forward. And so you've given us fresh fuel and some um, beautiful insight into motives and passion. But man, thanks for joining us. And I can't say it strongly enough, but we wish you and Ben all the best. And uh, I think we should try and catch up again as your journey unfolds. It'd be my pleasure. Thank you so much, Bobby. It was my first podcast and uh, definitely exciting and so special. So thank you very much. Thanks, man. Thanks so much for tuning into this episode of SkewCast. Be sure to keep up with our latest content by subscribing to SkewCast on iTunes or to our blog at community.commonskew.com. Until next time, friends. Thanks so much for listening.